Hello, Simon here. Um, second podcast in a row that I felt the need to put some kind of uh, disclaimer. And uh, this week's disclaimer is that this show is a bit sweary. Um, not awfully sweary, uh, more in quantity rather than how bad it is, but it's there. I usually bleep things out, but um, I pretty much lost track of where all the swear words were. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to bleep out most of it, I should bleep out all of it, and or none of it, and I haven't got a huge amount of time, so I've gone with the none of it, so there you go, you have been warned, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Andrew Bartram and Eric Matthew. <laughs> Sorry, I just messed that up again. That's two two podcasts on the trot. That yeah, don't got, edit it. I've We're not allowing you to edit it. You've got to keep yep. it in. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you get the last part right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, you put your Eric. What did you call him? <laughs> yeah. I, did, I, I, I stuck an L in there somehow. <laughs> it's it's, oh, it's fine. So it's fine. I answered Eric, Enrique, Eric, Eric. It's fine. It's all good. Hey, you. It's all good. Well, it, it, it went well last time, so yes, we'll uh, we'll keep it in there. And um, so, uh, and talking uh, about that, uh, I'll just also say uh, thank you uh, for our guest last time was Shane Balkowicz. I said it right. I got that bit right at least. So, uh, um, Shane, it was uh, it was well, it was, a, it, was it was such a pleasure uh, to have you uh, with us last time. It was it was absolutely incredible. So, uh, thank you again, Shane, for for, for being with us. Um, and I've just realised I've already just skipped the bit where I say hello, Andrew. Oh, hi, Simon. <laughs> and hello, Eric. Hello, how are you doing, Simon? There you go. So we, we're completely topsy turvy. Um, so uh, so on the, on that note, I think we'll just get straight over to the fens and see what Andrew's been up to. Uh, a bit been on two weeks holiday, and we took the caravan to the Lake District, and I exposed some large format film in a pinhole camera, and we walked loads up and down what I thought were enormous mountains, but they probably weren't really. So that's it, and we had a wonderful time, and I'm. I'm back at work today, which is a bit grim. But anyway, define def- define large format. Four by five pinhole. Okay, uh, all right. Mm-hmm. So oh, you asked me to define large format, or yeah, yeah. Go back, yeah, I was go back and listen sh- to show one and see if you can work it out because I'm not sure. All right. I'm all not right. sure. Well, I was we, just wanting uh, a four by five. You know. Yeah. No, I do have. A, I'm staring at an eight by ten pinhole camera, Ooh. but I only have one film holder for that because the things are so expensive. Yes, they are. Yeah. Self-made or commercially made? The pinhole camera is self-made, but not okay. by me. It's actually a prototype version that uh, a guy called James Gurin. Ah! Uh, reality I know, so James. subtle. Do you? No. I have I have that exact camera. Is it the one with four pinholes? Uh, this has got four pinholes, yeah. And so yep. I've got I've got James's prototype MDF version. Uh, he have, sent me oh, in, he sent, he sent it to me in the post out of the blue. I have. <laughs> he I didn't have send his... me a sheet film holder though. <laughs> no, I have what his second. That same camera, the second or third eight by ten he ever made without the filter add-on. Yeah, it's brilliant. I love yeah. James. That guy's work is incredible. He's. I think he's the best pinhole camera maker around. He, he's now making a pinhole camera with a pinhole on each side. It's thirty-five takes thirty-five millimeter film, 
So on one roll of film, you can shoot the film as normal or red scale, so through the non-emulsion side, all on one camera. Oh, man. I love that and guy. And he's been... Uh, He's been a guest on the Lensless podcast, which is the other podcast I get involved in. We've had him on a couple of times. He's a good uh, good friend of the show. Yeah, I've I've had the the joy of of chatting with him a fair bit over the, over mm-hmm. the years. I've got one of his six by sixes. I've yeah, got me too. Six by twelve. By I've got. Oh, jealous! I'm jealous. He does a six by seventeen as well. I haven't got that. I'm thinking about getting the six by six with the two pinholes though, because I've got the six by six with a filter ring on it. You know. Yeah, that's the one I have. It's to me that is uh, not to go on tangents or anything, but that six by six with uh, the filter on it is the fastest, best, most like street photography like pinhole camera I've ever used. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It just shoots so fast. Like you set it up, you shoot it, you're done. Like you can take a shot in three seconds, yeah. start to finish. Which for a pinhole is, it's like lightning, you know. Um, and then you throw a red filter and shoot infrared film in it. Oh, so good. Yeah, I was doing that last week. Well, semi-infrared, it's that um, Ilford yeah. SFX stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've shot a ton of that. That stuff is, is brilliant. I wish they made that in 4x5. Well, it's good for you to come on the Lensless podcast, Eric. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that, well, I've got a question, just going back to what you're saying about shooting yeah. two types of film at the same time, red scale. and No, two, so you're shooting the same roll of film, but red scale, of course, in order to shoot red scale in a camera... You go in the dark, well, you buy a roll, or like I do, you go you go in the dark room, and you unspool a roll, or um, I don't bother doing that. I just you, you just roll it backwards into another um, thirty-five millimeter cassette, so that when you put it in your camera, you're shooting through the halation um, layer, uh, the anti-halation layer, you know, the, the yeah, not through the emulsion side. So what James has done is made a camera where frame one can be just a normal, you know, a portrait or something. And then the frame two, you can um, open the other pinhole and, and shoot, shoot it with red back. scale. So you can have a mixture of oh, red-scaled right. red scaled <laughs> images and normal images all on the same roll. Yeah. I'm actually uh, – not surprising, I guess. I'm actually doing – Almost that ex- not quite, but almost that exact same thing with four by five right now. Um, except that I'm essentially shooting, and this this came from a process that a guy named Kelly Shane Fuller up in Oregon um, prototyped a few years back. But essentially, you load a normal panchromatic film, right? In this case, Ilford Delta like 100. Um, you okay there, Simon? Simon's yeah. being attacked by aliens right now. Yeah, we, 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 we're still there. There is some interference going on somewhere. I couldn't yeah, hear it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then you take an orthochromatic film, like a lithographic film, a really thin base, right? Mm-hmm. And you stack them because with, you can put them, load them at the same time in a film holder. Yeah. And then when you shoot, the light goes through the orthochromatic film, which is blue sensitive, um, and typically has uh, like a magenta anti-halation layer base. And then that light hits your panchromatic film as if it's been filtered through a magenta filter. Right? Yep. <laughs> and then from there, um, his process, because one is blue sensitive and now one has been exposed through a red filter, you develop them and then you can combine them into a two-color bichrome image. Because back in the day... That's what they used to co- do, wasn't it? 
Yeah, especially during the war. I think I remember it was I think it was World War II. Um, U.S. the United States Kodak they didn't have any dyes. The dye industry was all in Germany. So we went to war. We lost all the photo dyes. So they converted Kodachrome, like the early color chrome films, from a three from a three dye to a two dye. Right, red and I believe it's blue because those two combine, and then your eye fills in the green layer for you, and you can create this. It's this really beautiful sort of washed out color film. Well, um, yeah. so I'm playing. Yeah, go ahead. No, go on. You finish. Go on. I say so. I'm trying to trying to work that process out, um, and it's been it's been really interesting. So the early color experiments from monochrome to color were done mm-hmm. through shooting through f- three color films and recombine yep. filters and recombining the image. And if you exactly. dig, if you dig back into another great podcast, which must be right up your street, called the Homemade Camera Podcast. Really? Right, and you go back into I don't know which episode it is. Fairly early on, um, I'm going to say within the first twenty episodes. Then um, Graham and Nick, the hosts, the, well, there's three hosts now, but they were, it was just those two. They talk about designing um, such a camera today, you know, with mirrors and things to bounce the light around, and where you'd put the filters and so. Yeah, we That's were. Um, I was actually looking into that too, like. If the if shooting the two sheets of film at the same time wasn't working properly, if the anti-halation uh, dye in the in this particular brand of lithofilm, I'm using the the Arista Ortholitho because it's really inexpensive. It's like 25 cents a sheet. You know, you can't get cheaper large format film. Um, if that wasn't the right filtration of how do you build the same thing? Like since I've been building, uh, taking a crack at building cameras lately, you know. Where do you get a semi-translucent mirror? How much light has to pass through it? Where do you put the filter for it? They were talking about beast. that, Eric. They were talking about that, semi-translucent mirrors. Yeah. And I didn't quite get it all at the time because I'm having to visualize all this in my head, you know. But yeah. go back or, or get in touch with um, uh, Gra- Graham and Nick from the Homemade com- Camera Pod. Send them an email or something. And tell them we've had this conversation and say, where, which show do I go and look at? Or did you ever build they, that camera? They, they listen yeah. to the show, by the way. So they, well, they may find you, so we'll, Eric. We'll give all them right, a please, by all means. Yeah, you may actually, well find yourself on their show. Let's do it. Um, I actually also reached out to a gentleman named Nick, who's one of the conservators at the Kodak Eastman house, right? The George Eastman house, um, him and Mark Osterman, they, they essentially recreate old photo processes. Yeah. And he was like, Oh yeah, we have some of those lying right here. Let me send you a phone photo. And he shows, sends me a phone photo of the two bichrome, Kodachrome images individualized and then put together this portrait. They're like, I can't remember if they're four by five. So it's just brilliant. You can see like this really deep red image and this really like mid, almost mint green cyan blue image and it puts them together on a light table and a beautiful color portrait. And then he showed me the eight by 10 camera that they have just sitting in their collection. Um, that was a prototype for a different process. Like this is Rochester. You two have to get to Rochester and you have got to go through I'll introduce you to Mark and Nick. Um, they just had this collection of cameras. And because, you know, Rochester was the, the center of, of the optical hub of America. And in some cases, you could argue the world because of George Eastman through the 70s or 80s. I mean, even when I went to school in Rochester for photography, photojournalism before digital, it still was like Xerox was there. Bosch and Lom was there. Kodak was there. It was like the place for optical stuff and film so there's just like you throw a rock 
and you smack off of like five old wood large format cameras that some like some engineer some somebody's grandfather was an engineer at like the rochester camera company and he just had the shit in his garage like there's just cameras littering the landscape in rochester and uh the eastman house is just collecting them and putting them on shelves it's ridiculous it's really really cool um because so i was like where'd you get this eight by ten camera he's like ah, it's just this random prototype we picked up i was like uh, okay cool so yeah it's eric going back yeah. to your two sh- film process what about x-ray film so the fuji hrt Double-sided, double emulsion. So there's an interesting third fact, but that's orthochromatic. You can get yeah. a box of 8x10 for $30. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's a box of 100 well, Yeah, so I, cheap, isn't it? It's really cheap. I've tended to um, – because when you get 8x10 film, X-ray film, uh, you have to cut it down, right? Which is fine. You, do well, not, you can get 8x10 version. Yeah, but if you shoot four by five, yeah, sure, right, you yeah. end up cutting it down. Um, yeah. Oh, is it me or Eric? Yeah, we've or... lost you, Eric. No, we've still <laughs> lost you. Speak, Eric. Well, your mouth, funny... your mouth is moving. Yeah, the funny thing is, we can actually see him, which is unusual <laughs> for the podcast. And I don't think he'll actually hear us at all. No, he's he... just talking to himself. He is. <laughs> he'll realize. Yeah. At some point, he'll stop and realize that we're not listening. Yeah. <laughs> it it looks really interesting what he's saying, though. I mean, there's hand gestures. It looks like he's driving a car. Um... <laughs> yeah. Can no, we message him? Maybe yeah. message him or something. Yeah. It, it's at some point he'll pause for breath and realize that. He can't hear anything. Do you think he'll pause for breath? <laughs> it doesn't look like it, does it? I'm just trying to work out the hand signals now. Yeah. I think it was plunging a sink. I think that's what he did last. <laughs> yeah. And he's still going. <laughs> this is a great outtake. It, it, it is. It is. Well, he doesn't realise. It must be a minute or so he's been soliloquising. Yeah. In a grandiose manner. <laughs> Oh, this this looks so interesting. <laughs> oh, this is where we should be on video, isn't it? Really, this it, podcast it, should be on video. This would be so much fun. It is. Um, I'll send him a message. Uh, hopefully, he can he'll he'll read this. Uh, <laughs> we cannot hear you. Exclamation mark as well, just to give it more impact. Uh, still going in some ways he's the perfect guest because we yeah you just have to wind him up and set him off it's not he's not in his head at the moment (laughs) (laughs) does he realize he realizes now no i don't think he realizes eric we cannot hear you put put the cup down i'm gonna put my i'm gonna lift my i'm gonna lift my laptop up and put my camera on how about that No, still nothing. Um, put put your hand on your forehead if you can hear us. We can't hear you. We can't hear you. No. Not for two minutes. All these invites, we've got to go places, and we can't travel anywhere, can we? No. And not what that it's an that American... easy to go to all of these places anyway. 
Well, what an American road trip we could have if we had like a year off, eh? Oh, yeah. Via I've Slovenia. Got... Yeah. And Norway. Yeah, around the world, really. Yeah. Japan. I've got an invite to go to Japan. Yeah. Well, that's fine because I can't hear you uh, either. And, for, and uh, for some reason, I'm still on it. How weird is that? We can hear you. Can you hear us? I can absolutely hear you. Yeah. Um, and you're frozen in time on another screen as well. Yeah. That's uh, weird. Isn't yeah. It? That's but okay. As long as that other screen doesn't like. It was extremely funny behalf. watching you because you, it, whatever it was you were saying, you were going on for about two minutes, waving yeah. your arms around. Yeah, gesturing everything. <laughs> I, I, I use my, yeah, I, I gesture. I, I can't help it. What did you last hear that was probably boring? <laughs> um, um, well, you were talking about Rochester and old lenses being littered. Oh, we spoke about X-ray films. X-ray, I got onto that. Yep, yep. And, and then yeah. cutting yeah. down four by fives, yeah. Yep. You invariably scratch it, don't you? You know. Yeah, exactly. That's why I go to the the, uh, the Kodak single sided stuff because mm -hmm. it's it's much less prone to scratching the hell out of, which I inevitably do. Yep. Yeah. So I've, I've got to say, if that if that was the answer then uh, to what you've just just been saying, and we've been watching you, then it was far more interesting the first time you answered <laughs> that question. Well, I also mentioned that I've figured out, and I'm happy to share the recipe. How did, that film is typically shot at like 25 or 50 ASA. Um, how which to push film, it to two hundred? Which film are you talking about now? Sorry. Any X-ray film, usually oh. the Kodak in specific, but most X-ray films are shot at like fifty. Um, I figured out a good way to develop that at two hundred ASA and still get some pretty nice tonal, not too contrasted results. Um, so if anyone's interested in in really pushing that film around at a, a much higher speed than usual, I'm happy to share the recipe. I'll go into the Facebook group. I'll put it mm. up there. Yeah, do that because there's a lot of people interested in x-ray film i just use the fuji stuff and in fact james Guerin is really good at using it and he he gave me all the information on processing that particular type of film in fact what he's doing now he's taking eight by ten sheets mm -hmm. cutting them down to four by ten and oh. splicing eight to ten of those that four by ten sheets together and he's, he's printed or made some large format Rolls, so he's making large format roll film for a pinhole camera. So he's going to be like his a, a beefed up version of his reality, so subtle six by seventeen, but it's going to be four by ten using roll film that he makes himself from X-ray. I love that guy. Mm. I love that guy. Actually, at, at one point in time, unless he's found a new supplier, um, a couple of years ago, that's how I got my. I, he traded me like two or three of those boxes of. Fuji 8x10 because he couldn't get it in France. So he pained me. I was like, hey, if uh, you can you can get those, can you ship them to me? And then I'll send you an 8x10 pinhole that I've been working oh. on. I was like, Sh sure, man, let's do it. Yeah. So I bought the film and shipped it over. And then he shipped me over an 8x10 camera. And Bob's your uncle, was my uncle in that case, <laughs> as they say. Um, yeah, it was great. So he may still be shooting that stuff. I sent him like 300 sheets of it. It's a really small world over here in the fringe. It should be noted. It is. It is. <laughs> a really small world. Could you start the but, show recording again, Simon? Or we yeah, yeah, they, yeah. This, 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 okay. this, this is going I'm, out. And I think I'm that, completely uh, confused now about what's going on. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, the vast majority of those, uh, <laughs> that time where we were describing uh, what we were seeing of Eric um, in, the, in his hand gestures and what he was doing, um, that, that will live into the podcast forever, I think. Fucking perfect. Yes, I'll take it. I'll take it. 
But I actually asked Simon what he was up to. I mean, we, we know Andrew just went out and shot large format. Oh, right. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, Simon. Yeah. Well, Dude. I've, uh, uh, what have I been doing? Apart from making things, I've been mean, doing a lot of making things lately. Um, but I did, actually, this still involves making things. Um, I bought a lot of, um, when I say a lot, as in auction lots, uh, lots of lots mm. of uh, photographic gear uh, last week. And uh, there's a, a couple of, well, the, the large format related stuff that was in there was I bought quite a few really old lenses, um, you know, probably turn of the century stuff, uh, but, but uh, not, uh, not barrel lenses, always shutters. Uh, you know, Bosch and Lomb, really? that, that kind of stuff, yeah. And some really old um, Kodak stuff. I don't know if they were, f how large formatty they are. They might be off like some of the very big box cameras that you used to get like, and, the, and the big old roll film. Yeah, that kind of thing, uh, which yep, which yep. nobody at home could see. Uh, yeah, I was going to say like the old, um, <laughs> the, the Rochester Optical yeah. brass lenses. Yep. That's it. Yep. I think I've got two, two of those and a few other bits and bobs. Um, but there was also a, a 16 by 24 panoramic camera uh, that, that I picked up, except it, was, um, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't um, – it was somebody that, that – it was a homemade camera. Uh, so another homemade camera podcast uh, interest um, part. Um, and, and this – but it was made with MDF, uh, the back part of the camera. So it weighed a ton. Um, and it's got some huge bellows on it, which I haven't actually worked out how the bellows are actually supported. Uh, but they were panoramic bellows. It was that, that kind of shape. Um, yeah. And again, ho ho homemade. And these, these bellows, really good. Really, really good bellows. Um, and then attached to this camera were, was, was a 4x5 press camera uh, lens. And I'm not thinking, really? Really? A 135 huh. Optar from a, from a speed graphic? <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to do 16 by 24? Not likely. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, maybe if you... I mean, it is, it is a case that... I mean, certainly it's got, hasn't got to hope in anything to, to do uh, um, infinity focus. But obviously, the, 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 the further the extension, the larger the image circle becomes... So it, perhaps it might be for panoramic macro shooting or something like that, maybe. Yeah, I would. I would love to see that thing actually. Um, well, one because I love homemade cameras and whatnot, and I have this massive. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have this massive soft spot for panoramics. Mm -hmm. I think panoramics are, are absolutely fascinating as a format. I think it, it might go back to might go back to college where, you know, Rochester RIT. You know, they've got the cage of all this equipment that you'll you'll never be able to afford, you know, as a as a working adult. But one of them was, you know, a swing lens panoramic camera. Mm -hmm. Right. And it just fascinated me. Um, it was they were super fun to shoot, but the results were just really, really interesting. And I've never been able to I do have a six by seventeen three D printed panoramic medium format. That's that's really great. Um but like in terms of you know a full bore panoramic with actual optics and whatnot, you know, um, you know like the Fuji six seventeens and um, or like a four inch by ten inch, was, which is just a total like dream. Um, I've never had one, but I think they just fascinate me. Like I would, it's it's one of those formats I would love to get into. So if some 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 lunatic from like whatever nineteen forty decided to 
build their own large format panoramic. Like, I would like to see that. It's almost like an exercise in psychology. You, like when you look at that camera or other cameras that you pick up that somebody's hacked together and try to reverse engineer it, it has sometimes less to do with the technical aspects and more like, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> exactly. Well, well right? that's the case with this. It, you know, the, the, the main part of the camera is MDF. You know, MDF is not light. It's not a portable thing, especially when it's going to be that large. I just, I, I just don't know where it would ever get used. Which is, yeah, you know, I think I don't know if it was more of a case of somebody bought some massive bellows and thought I can do something with this, and and right. and that was it. And then re- and then stopped when he realised that his his press lens wouldn't actually give give the coverage. Uh, right. So uh, I, I, or I don't he, know. he just had that that individual. It could be she. Who knows? But that person just had like. And I, by the way, I just had to not being in, in the, the Tracer thing, I just had to like quick Google what MDF is, medium density fiberboard. Yes. Right? I assume. Right. Yes. That's he just they just had a, a ton of that laying around the garage or the shop and just whacked together something with it that they wanted to whack together. Yeah. You know? I just had it lying about and just took a crack at it. You know? What are the bellows and, made out of Simon? I'm not entirely sure. Um <laughs> It's it's a flat. I haven't actually got the thing at, at my house, so I, I can't I can't uh, go over it for. I've, I've not looked at it particularly closely, but it's a flexible rubberized material with with tape and maybe some more MDF around the edges. Um, okay. Yeah, but it's it's it appears to be very very well made. That that part of it, at least, anyway. And <laughs> it, and, it, and it was it was a man, by the way, uh, because I know it was an estate estate sale, um, and. Uh, he, he, and the, and good, the good news is it wasn't like a deceased uh, estate sale. Um, okay. But I do know that um, it was a, it was a gentleman that was told in no uncertain terms that he had to get rid of his collection of cameras and, and fishing rods. Um, or he'd get a divorce and whiskey. So he's a, so he's alive. You can go back and say, mate, what were you? What 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 were you? Can we talk? It, about your state of mind it could be possible i suppose but he's it's uh he's, he's in scotland he's a long way away but there are things like telephones aren't there and things like that but uh, <laughs> i never but he was at an at an auction so i you don't get mm-hmm. to know exactly who the person is but uh, Got it. I, I do get the i do know the story behind the auction at least um but on panoramic so I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, panoramic cameras and um i while i was there i, I tried to buy a wide looks uh, which would have been so cool, but that was that yep. went way too much. And also, there was yep. a Horseman six twelve um, mm. that went for way too much for me as well. Um, but what did yeah, the wide so, lux go for? Sorry, Simon. What uh, did the wide lux go for? I think it was about six hundred pounds. I think. Yeah, that seems to be yeah. about going rate right on right. eBay, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Don't forget you've and you've also got uh, bias premium and uh, and tax mm. on top of that as well. Um, so you've got to add about twenty five percent on onto that to get your your yeah. final price. Um, yeah, but, that was the camera that made me fall in love with them. Was the Wide Lux in college? Yeah. Well, you know, we've both Andrew and I have both got uh, an Horizon, got Horizon cameras, slightly different models, uh, but yeah. thirty-five millimeter swing lenses mm-hmm. um, on a with a twenty-eight millimeter lens for thirty-five mil film, um, which is super fun. Um, but I also, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pleased about the other thing. I mean. We've, we're not really doing much large format here, but I'm too excited not to talk about it. Now we're talking about panoramas. Let's uh, do it. And that is uh, an FT2 uh, camera, uh, which is a ah. um, Soviet um, panorama camera that came out yes. of a tank. Um, and that used uh, an industrial lens, so it's a Tessar formulation lens, F5. For whatever reason, it's an F5 lens, not 5.6, 5. Um, and... Um, 
and it's uh, it, it's a swing it's a swing lens um takes 35 millimeter film and the negatives are 20 this is millimeters now uh, 24 right. by 110 so huge swing uh, <laughs> they're like a little metal sandwich almost that's right? exactly yeah, yeah 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 and it's yeah. surprising how small I'd, they are when you say little when i i'd seen pictures of them i never realized just how small they are because they don't take conventional film or rather to take conventional film but you have to load the film into the canisters that then slot into it uh, because right. the conventional 35 millimeter film uh, canister is too tall for it right yeah 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 I've, I've looked into those during during a panoramic like mad research phase of trying to figure out like if i could afford um lay my hands on a panoramic somehow uh mostly around originally you remember like actually here's a brilliant one if you can find one Kodak, I think it was Kodak, um, made a brilliant, beautiful swing lens, brass swing lens panoramic in the early 1900s that shot, um, I think it was a 127? There's a, there's a couple a, different formats. There's, there's different models, isn't there? Like, like a Model yep. B, and, and, and some of them will take, uh, would take 120 film, and then, and then they get yep. larger and smaller, I think. I, I, can't, yeah. I can't remember it's, what they call them. It's the Kodak number one panoram. Yeah, that's it. And uh, they're they're just brilliant cameras, and I think while I was researching those, um, I stumbled across that funky little Russian uh, FT2, and I was like, "What is this itty bitty itty bitty little thing?" Um, so yeah, those things are crazy. Yeah. Uh, I have a yeah. fascination as well because I, I panorama is just brilliant from shooting. Just those cheap plastic faux panoramic ones, you know, that take 35 millimeter film. They're, yeah. they're just fun to use. Yeah. On my 4x5 camera, I have the 6x17 Chinese back. Oh, how is get. that? That's excellent. Yeah, no, it's really good. Okay. They're not cheap, though. They're going up. I didn't pay as. There's probably now you're having to pay 400 odd quid for one of those. Yeah, uh, but More it works really into. works really well. Simon's seen it, haven't you? That weird yeah, thing I've yeah. got that going back. We, well, we tried to do that uh, double exposure yeah, uh, challenge for the negative positives no. podcast last year, which failed miserably. It did, yeah. <laughs> but I took my um, I, I did a mod for shooting thirty five millimeter film in my Tex, Texas Leica, my GW six ninety two. So that was that produces a negative, and I know this because I'm looking at the emulsive article now. 83 millimeters by 24 so that's still a, that's a pretty wide aspect right. ratio i actually took um a 6.9 back and put it on my intrepid 4x5 uh and then tried to put together stitch together panoramics purely through front element shift right like just like just yeah. take the just cram it to the left do the first shot advance it, and then cram it to the right yeah. do the second shot to try to minimize you know lens shift and whatnot and then just like develop them and slap them together and, and see how well it would work. It worked okay. It wasn't like a genuine like six by 18 or something like really, really big and massive. I think it came out to like a six by 13 or 14 maybe tops. Um, but it, it worked It worked pretty well, actually, all things considered. Um, so it's just, just not, it's just not nearly as cool as like, and let's face it, the aesthetic of having a lens that goes and rotates, like that's just that shit's just cool. You know. Um you can't you can't you can't get away from like the 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 robo the roboto part of like no. the aesthetic of shooting. Like, cause a lot of things I think sometimes not sometimes, but 
um, with photography is partially it's the image, but also it's the process, right? It's a, especially oh, yes. large format. It's a process you go through to make the image. That's almost to a certain extent as important as the resulting image for your personal satisfaction. Yes, right. I, I'm to- totally on board with that. And I just just need to uh, mention the homemade com- pon- homemade podcast again, homemade camera mm-hmm. podcast again, um, because uh, on the subject of panoramic cameras, uh, Graham on the show um, has a 3D printed uh, camera, and I've actually just dropped a link uh, into our into our little chat uh, called the Kraken, um, and that's a six six by twelve uh, camera that uses a large format lens um, to uh, to to get the field of view. Uh, well, to get the the panoramic uh, um, aspect ratio, and so that's about probably. I'm not sure if this is the cheapest way to actually get a six by twelve camera, but it's certainly cheaper than the thousand odd pounds plus for the Horseman right. camera that does exactly the same thing. So, yeah, actually, so, uh, sorry, the cheapest way uh, for me that I've found. Oh yes, this is this design 30, is really. This is thirty bucks for the file. Then you get if you know a friend with a three D printer to yep. print it for you. You know, um, kind of yeah, way. this design is with the big cone is really popular. I was going to say the cheapest, one of the cheapest ways I have found to shoot six by by panoramic six by fourteen is you get one of the old Kodak tourist cameras, the pocket cameras that shot a now dead format. I'm spacing which format it is, um, but you just get a couple of adapters to put one twenty film in the back, right, um, and just put in a mask so the film is forced to lay flat a little bit and uh you know those cameras you can get them all day long in good shape where the bellows is intact and the lens is still perfectly functional you spend a little bit of money either with to get some pre-done adapters or have a friend print out the film school adapters and they shoot absolutely brilliantly sharp edge to edge fantastically exposed six by 14 black and white negatives um with just the lens that's built on it yeah. And you can you can get them all day long. Um, uh, I converted mine with just like black file folder paper, you know, which is a little bit stiffer than standard. Essentially, like a, a slightly heavier duty, smoother cardboard or construction paper. Sorry, it's like a half a millimeter thick, and just taped taped it in. Took it to Hawaii, and it was brilliant, just brilliant. And they're so cheap and they look really cool. Like you take one of those old big leather, like Kodak cameras out and it's a pocket camera. Like how big were their freaking pockets that they could fit a camera like larger than a building brick into that pocket. Like, good Lord, man. Like what, what, what pocket do you have that fits that? Someone needs to explain to me and they all wore suits back then. Like, where is that? What, what? Anyways, maybe somebody was just being cheeky. And, and like tongue in cheek and saying pocket camera, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But anyways, um, lay your hands on some of those and uh, just put in the mask, get the film adapters and just shoot six by 14 to your heart's content for almost absolutely nothing. Um, you just have to make sure the bellows are clean and the lens isn't too gummed up in terms of its shutter mechanics. But I've got like probably six of those things in the garage waiting to be converted to panoramics. They just sell on the cheap well, for people I- who want to do it. It, the other easy way, of course, is any. Uh, if you if you want to go wide, the six by nine, my six by nine Netar folder is mm. currently is currently I've currently got a roll of Foma pan in there. Yeah, you know, you just have to work out how many wine, how many rotations on the knob. You know, you need to turn yep. before for your next frame. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots exactly of, there's lots of cheap options, but um, there's some really high end stuff out there as well. But that back yeah. I've got for my four five camera. 
of course, you know, is is great, but it's it's a bit on the expensive side now. Yeah, well, that's and that's the thing too. Like when we go back to talking about like the manner in which you take the images to try to like as as much as the tangents into medium format and panoramics are fun, um, to drag it back into what people are actually here for, which is like large format and shenanigans. Um, like, do you think no insult to the three D printers in the house? But is is three D printing a camera? like a full camera, right? Is that the same thing as making such building your own? Like is, is buying like a, a Goodman medium format kit or downloading some plans and just like throwing them onto a, a 3d printer of which again, there's, there's no shame in that. Um, constitute building your own camera or is it like the madman who's crazy panoramic camera you picked up at auction? Yeah. You know, like which where where does that where does yeah. that fall? No, it's it's it's, it's an interesting question, and and I think it depends on where 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 you're sitting on this, um, and that, uh, for instance, you know, you you can download, you know, like the the we just mentioned the the, the Kraken. You've already mentioned Dora Dora Goodman. Mm-hmm. Um, there are designs out there, including four by five cameras, which are open source and free to download, and you can print them yourself. And for me. Uh, that's a kit, you know, so right. it's, and, and it's, as, it's as simple as that. And you can get a lot of satisfaction by putting a kit together. Um, if you're, I don't think there's a huge amount of difference, whether you're actually 3d printing that yourself or somebody's printing it for you. And then you put it together because at the end of the day, you're just feeding the information. Somebody's done the work and you feed it into your printer, or it's just going to come in the po- in the post. I don't think there's a, there's much in that there's a certain amount of satisfaction to see this thing appear from nothing on a, on a 3d printer but um but no it's a kit um that that's how i take it um whereas if you design the camera yourself from the ground up um you go into you you've gone onto your computer you may have drawn this uh, by hand and then you're transferring the, the 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 diagram onto a computer and you'll you'll design it it everything is shaped in the way that you've chosen it to be and then ultimately right. by the time it comes out and it's printed off i absolutely view that in exactly the same way as if somebody had um, taken several pieces of wood shaved it lovingly lacquered it or whatever i you know there's a skill set there that i you know, i'm talking from myself personally now i have no i just i know i could not do those things um yes i suppose i could make something that worked and that looked awful but you know what would that matter if i've made it myself it doesn't doesn't really matter what would it work and i don't even know if it would work or not but i know that i can design something and produce it and i would have the same amount of pride if you like i think um as somebody that had made something else with 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 their hands maybe yeah yeah i think that's fair i think that's um what do you think andrew um I, i don't really have a view on what the answer uh, not should be but there's a kind of implication in your question that one is kind of better than the other whether you meant it to be like that i don't know but um, you know um and i don't i don't think it matters really um if you're crap at woodwork but you can design something on a 3d printer you know using software like simon has taught himself to do that um but what it's doing though all this all this technology is just opening up a whole range of possibilities and formats and panoramic cameras to the masses in a way because we can't afford um hassle what are they those 
panoramic cameras, you know, the Hassel... Uh, uh, the X- X-Pan. X-Pan, yeah, yes. X-Pan. We can't afford those. Or the Fuji 6x17s. They're, they're just mm-hmm. bonkers prices, you know? Yeah. Or even the, even that Chinese back day back I've got, you know, they're just silly prices, really. Yeah. So, you know, that Kraken camera, the 6x12, um, friend of the Lensless podcast, Cesare Bartchak, who makes the Mir, um, there's a classic name, uh, yeah. pinhole cameras out of um, Sl- uh, Slovakia, maybe, or Poland, <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> um, he makes a 6x12 or 6x17 wooden camera for less than 200 euros. Um, that takes a 90mm 4x5 lens, I think. Okay. And, you know, he makes, he handcrafts pinhole cameras for sale for not a lot of money, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a world of opportunities out there. And it doesn't matter how we end up at them, you know, and some people yeah. are just like me. I've got two thumbs, really. I couldn't, you know, I can, I can make a pinhole camera out of a tin can by, you know, I can make a pinhole and, and do stuff like that. But, I'm, you know, I've got this idea about making a wooden box-in-box camera, and that frightens the life out of me, you know. So you were very kind enough to show yours, uh, which you know, the listeners to this podcast <laughs> couldn't see. <laughs> Um, right. But maybe you can share some you share some pictures into the Facebook group. But, uh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, I don't think one's any better than the other. I think there's certainly there's a must there must be a tremendous satisfaction if you can make a beautiful wooden camera and and you see some awesome results. You know, uh, uh, great objects of beauty. Yeah. I, I just and, I just want to inter- interrupt on this because um, yeah. it's it's interesting. But you, Andrew, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think I actually right. set my answer as a is a reaction to the way that the question was put to me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, no, that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, because I you know I felt like I, I needed to tip the balance back a little bit, if you like. Yeah. Um, um, so I, that that's just an, obs- an observation there. Um, yeah. and because I'm there thinking, you know, is is what I do the same as somebody lovingly applying lacquer and finishing it off? No, it's not. Yeah, there's a there's a higher skill level there. Although it could be said that some of the the people that can do that, they would struggle perhaps to do some of the things that I can do in the relatively mm-hmm. short time I've been learning how to do uh, CAD and things like that. But yeah, that, it's about you know what makes people tick, and some people are far better with the hands, and and some people could be happy mm-hmm. with computers, and some and and and, and so on. We're all different. Um, right. But uh, another a quick observation. Um, this um, this this chat that we're having is is I'm I'm really enjoying it and I want I want it to continue in the way that it's it, it's going and I'm thinking that um, we're taking up a great deal of time where you know at the end of the day this show is this is is about Eric and it's not about us and um, and I'm thinking that I don't want this section to be curtailed. Um, because you know, we haven't even got to what Eric's been up to at the moment, and then we would normally uh, dive Excuse deeper him. into into Eric. And I'm thinking that what we should do here is we should just stick on the the train of thought that we're going at this moment. And Eric, if you would like to come back um, potentially for the next show, and then we do part two, and we actually talk a little bit more about yourself, how, how does that sound to sure. you? Sure, I'd love that. My only regret is that we're not in some like geographic location where we could actually do this in a pub or yes. you know someone's backyard with with a pint or two, and uh, do, do it proper, like as they say. But yeah, I'd, I would love that for sure, one hundred percent. Excellent, excellent. So uh, let's let's carry on uh, in this ah. vein, and yeah. um, so I have to sorry Simon, but I now have to apologise to those folks who have tuned in. <laughs> 
<laughs> having having sold the podcast on largely on the ride slow take photos kind of premise and the and the dollar bill lenses uh, right so which which we can talk about a little bit as well as part of this and and to, to swing back to um i i realized i i may have loaded the, the question of of handmade versus 3d and whatnot a little bit um, and my apologies, I, I meant no offense. And and after I asked it, and I and I started to hear the the answer, like you're absolutely right. Like um, to be to be clear, I, I mean I'm crap at work and I'm I'm a crap at 3D files. So either which way, I'm just kind of crap and I kludge my way through it. I mean that's why I, I, my first lenses were made with dollar bills because I can roll paper and and apply you know adhesive backed foam and you know go from there. Somehow that made a lens, uh, even some. I'm not sure how sometimes exactly how that worked, but it worked. Um, but I think, you know, you're right. There's a tremendous amount of, of talent required to look at a, a flat screen and visualize something that's in your head into a 3d file into, into dimensionality on a flat screen and then make it come out, use the tools at hand, you know, 3d printers. You don't just, my understanding, I never used one, but, you don't just let it fly like they have to print at a certain speed or the the material gets too hot or too weak it weakens your print goes to sh- goes to shite i'm i'm doing my best to like translate your print goes to shite and you have to do it all over again and a really big piece could take like 48 hours of continuous printing and it's it's more laborious and labor intensive than i think a lot of people think i think uh, my a lot of folks think that oh you 3d print it it's just like Boom! Away we go. Done, and, and it's not quite to that state yet. Um, and so I, you know, it is absolutely what you do. You know, if you're making something original, it's pretty. It's really pretty amazing. I'm I'm awestruck by a lot of the things that folks do on 3D printers. Um, my limitation is I'm just I just can't wrap my head around 3D files. Like every time, like I might look at 3D files, like oh, I wonder if I could like cobble that together with my hands somehow, you know, like take that design and do, do it with cheap wood because that's what I do most of my things with because I don't have a lot of money. So cheap it is. And I just like, look at it sort of like, you know, like, like, a, like a, like a chimpanzee staring at a, like something new for the first time, just sort of staring at it going, what the, what is this? And then I throw it over my shoulder and I go do something else poorly advised. Um, but yeah, I think the folks who are making things, from scratch and 3d printing them um is amazing like you and james and there's a i'm spacing out his name but there's a really incredible large format camera builder in israel who's making some cameras that are just mind-blowing mind-blowingly good um are incredible and and to i think it was to andrew's point you know it is kind of a the great democratizer sort of like digital cameras for better or worse really leveled the playing field and opened up photography to a lot more people who never really were able to do it before right Mm -hmm. um and towards that the ability to just you know make a camera if you or even print a camera if you're not technically minded and just get into film photography of some type in some weird way um for not a lot of money uh, has democratized film photography, large, medium format, 35 millimeter, uh, to a massive degree, right? 
Mm. You can you can order up a Dora Goodman camera or use her files to build a really interesting medium format camera based around I think it's a can't remember which it's a six seven back where all you need to do is buy the six seven back and a lens right and it's it's pennies on the dollar compared to buying a Hasselblad yeah right and you've assembled it yourself yeah. and that's that's pretty fucking cool right it 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 is and it's it's that it's that thing you know, um I mean, we don't we don't really do the digital versus um, analog thing here, but the, yeah, yeah, the, um, the 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 digital world has enriched. Although it, it, it killed film off in a enormous way, and it'll never be the same. Um, right. but, but now people are shooting. Oh, I can't use that. Uh, making yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, okay, shooting film. <laughs> so, yeah, we have, no, we're making images, uh, making pictures. Um, <laughs> But I think that the the people that are out there <clears throat> making images with film now are as as if you look at things as a, as a well, people are doing it because they want to do it. Um, back in the yeah. day, people did it because they had to do it. That was the only way to make photographs. Mm. Now people can choose to make digital photographs. They can hybridize. They can do all all of these things. Um, but I think that it, it allows for people's passion. Uh, to to you know, people are really passionate about what they they do now, and they, you know, the internet and whether it be social media and things like that. That's right. that's, you know, double-edged swords as we've as we've gone into in the in the past. It it right. it, it it's it's that information is is going all around the world. I mean, people talk about you know, make sure you print your photographs, um, but you know, and if you don't print it, who's going to see it? Well, actually. Far more people are ever going to see the photographs I've taken because I've scanned them and they've shared yep. them on social media. But yes, I haven't got them, and we've talked about this before, and uh, only last week uh, in the last show. Um, but ultimately, people are seeing people's images, and it's inspiring other people to do something similar or, or think, "Oh, I could do something like that next." Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and you know, we won't we won't tilt at the windmill of of social media because. People, especially here in America, like we're we're talking about social media's effects on society to a massive degree right now. Uh, it's like an overdue conversation, um, for better or worse. But uh, with that said, you know, I there's no way I could have gone down the various rabbit holes that I've gone down without the internet. You know, when I when I decided I needed to make my own lenses because I was too poor to buy old brass lenses for a project, um, the information on lens designs, you know, was there. It's so simple to find really technical drawings for like those old brass lenses, for example. Um, the, la the landscape, the single element landscape lens, uh, the Petzval, uh, the globe, like all those early to late 1800s groundbreaking optical designs, which are both shockingly simple and complex. So they're all right there. Um, and in addition, you know, the math on how to figure out what a focal length is when you combine two elements. Like there's a, a little group on Flickr that's a handmade lens group. And the guru there just like he freely posts these formulas. And I'm, you're going to find I say this about myself a lot, but I'm crap at math. But this is a basic formula that even I could figure out. And that just set me on my way. Away we went. Um, and that, that sort of thing, like you don't, I don't know that you can really pre-internet easily go to your local library and find a book on photographic lens theory and design no. like you, you you couldn't right um we couldn't do what we do in this brave new world 
of large format photography sticking into it without that. Yeah, or you could find it, but it'd be written in a very technical way and it'd be written for people like-minded. You know, it, it wouldn't be written in a way that uh, ordinary people that are not educated in that in that area right. would, would understand. Yeah, and you wouldn't see other people like you muddling through it, making their mistakes that you can learn from because it's all just recorded right there. Well, I just tried this thing. It didn't come out. And then one of the experts goes, oh, oh, that's because you needed to do blah, right? And they're like, oh, and then it works. And then you, as the person who's learning, can learn from the mistakes of the folks who just did it maybe two years ago. Uh, because the internet, for better or worse, remembers everything. Um, and I wouldn't be able to like find these lens elements. Like uh, the lens element supplier, uh, the surplus shed, by the way, total props. Fred at the surplus shed um, has all sorts of like surplus optical elements for really inexpensive Plano, double convex, concave, acromats, cemented acromats, whatever. Um, all kinds of crazy shit. Like Fred's got so much stuff. And you, you just go there and start plugging the numbers where you're like, I want a acromat lens of this diameter range and this focal length range. Go. Coded, not coded. Go. And boop, there they are. And you're like, <laughs> okay, I'll take this one and this one, this one, order them up, ship them to me. And I'm building lenses, right? Um, Pre-internet, you wouldn't even know those places existed, let alone getting an up-to-date catalog to be able to say, oh, Fred, I need, I'm building this camera. I'm building, case in point, I'm building an 1800s design, single element, uh, large format landscape lens. Uh, circa 1830s, like these, oh, people can't see it, but the original camera lens was a landscape lens. It was a single element chunk of glass uh, with the aperture placed in front of it because that's how it was done. Apertures uh, behind the lenses didn't happen, at least not for these things. You know, and so being able to say, hey, Fred, like I need a 180 millimeter acromat that will cover a four by five or larger that's coated. You can see, you know, this yellow coating. Um, that I can turn into a period correct camera lens. You know, that would have been needle in a haystack, uh, let alone finding somebody who has it surplus and not for like frontline costs. Like this is like the piece of glass I have in this particular lens that I'm holding in my hand. You know, this is a 90, 120 or more dollar chunk of optically correct coated glass, like Acromat. You know, I got it from, from, my, from the surplus shed for... 15 bucks. Oh, why? <laughs> you know, like, okay, here we go. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a brilliant, beautiful, big, beautiful glass element. It's just awesome, you know? And, um, the, without the internet, I don't know that I could have done it. You Actually, have, I know. I mean, you have I'm 80. people in America, don't you? Surplus shed. Yeah. Google surplus shed.com. Fred, he's awesome. And he's a really nice guy. Um, every once in a while, there's something that I'll, I'll want and I'll, I know I'll be building a lens for it with it. And I'll just ping him next to a note to say, hey, man, you know, because sometimes it's all surplus. So sometimes there might be um, some sort of scoring on it or there might be a little bit of mildew, like not necessarily mildew, but like some, some sort of uh, degradation of the element. And so if it's something I'm really, really, really putting my head down on, I want to come out really well, I can just drop him a note on the email say, hey, Fred. I'm making a lens out of this. Can you make sure the elements you send me are as clean as possible? 
And he'll be like, yeah, okay. And he'll just take him out of the aisle. And you can tell when he, when he get it because it's a little bit unwrapped. And he'll, he'll check it, make sure it's good, and, and send it. And take a little bit of extra care if you ask him. Um, I was just a really nice gentleman. I, I can't recommend Fred at the Surplus Shed enough. And he'll even have, like, old projector lenses. So if you want to, like, shoot – because projector lenses are amazing portrait lenses, right? Especially on a 4x5 on a speed graphic – Man, um, they're so good. And he is constantly getting in projector lenses, F3.8s, um, whatever else, made by really reputable companies. He actually has some incredible um, twin lens setups that were made for a portrait camera company, a portrait company. Like, you know, when he, in America, they used to be, they have the high school, your high school photo, your, your photos, right? Every year that you get, you go and you get your school photo and then your parents buy them and send them out to your relatives. Do you do that in the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there was a company that specialized in that and they made their own cameras with these big bulk loaded film canisters on the back, medium format. And uh, they contracted with Pentax to make, um, it was a TLR. They contacted with, contracted with Pentax to make these beautiful zoom lenses for those. Just stunning. Um, always wide open at like F whatever. And, um, and, um, when they went out of business, Fred bought all their lens surplus. And so he's got just a ton of these stunning 105 to I think 150 zoom portrait lenses that are built by Pentax in his inventory. Do you know, did you know, you know about this guy, Simon? No, well, I mean, he's in the States, so... Uh, yeah. Well, Johnny might. Your your American buddy, Johnny, yeah. might know. He, I mean, he sound, probably does. It sounds incredible. Uh, yeah, and so actually, incredible. shockingly enough, I believe if you talk to the guys over at Intrepid, I think they might have sourced their first, for their for the Intrepid 4x5 Mark One. they might have sourced the ground glasses for that from Fred, if not Fred, from somebody else, because those are surplus... Kodak 4x5 ground glasses in the Intrepid Mark One. At least that's what one of the guys from Intrepid said to me uh, when I mentioned the surplus shed and, and ground glasses. They're like, yeah, that's we Our Mark One 4x5 ground glasses are Kodak surplus. And I think he got them from Fred at the surplus shed. Those, um, while you're on the subject of ground glass for 4x5 cameras, I know Steve Lloyd of Chroma cameras, who we mentioned most most shows. You familiar with Chroma? Oh yeah, yep. Um, yeah. So there's a guy who can visualize something and come up with a design almost instantaneously. But he um, he sources his ground glass from guy on eBay uh, in uh, in uh, Vilnius, and I think his name is Vergis or something like that. I can put the links into the show note, and he produces extremely well-made and bright ground glass screens for not a very lot of money. I replaced one in my, uh, in my bomb homemade, um, uh, in my bomb Italian camera. And I think it was shipped to me for 15 pounds, you know? Oh, damn. Okay. And he makes them. I've also replied, I've replaced one in my Rolleiflex. Um, just, he'll make them for custom sizes for you. And he does a superb job. That's and I me- I've mentioned him. I've mentioned him a few times in the in the Facebook group, and he's well known and very reasonably priced as well. Yeah, I'll have to get in touch with him. Um, I'll post the notes. It'll be in the show notes, Eric, and also okay. I'll post into the group the, his details. That's perfect. I think it's Virgil yeah. or something like that. His name is. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, because, you know, like uh, going back to large, large format and hand making stuff, you know, finding when you build lenses, which is uh, what I'm getting vaguely somewhat known for, which is weird to say, like I'm starting to get known for things um, that are aren't bad. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, finding glasses big enough, but also, you know, finding, um, figuring out like the sizes and, um, you know, like Fred also not to plug Fred again, like, you know, he figured out that, um, people, like, the other source for really interesting glass, so not just glass elements, but barrels, um, is from the telescope world, like the telescope folks, they make these massive telescopes, hmm. including assembling like their own lens assemblies. Right. And so as, as camera, large format camera lens builders, one of the best sources or even medium format of like really high quality lens elements and housings for them is telescopes. Um, like this here, and I'll, I'll post photos in the Facebook group and, and whatnot. I'll send you photos. This thing right here is a lens I built using a two inch, um, telescope eyepiece barrel mm-hmm. um, that's threaded to take inserts that hold lenses, right? And so you just slip your your lens element into these threaded inserts, and you thread it into the into the lens barrel, and put a couple of them in there, and all of a sudden you got a lens assembly, and you've got a metal barreled camera lens um, that, depending on where you put the elements and some other weird technical shit, um, will work perfectly well with a four by five or with medium format. Um, and so there's all this really arcane, fun stuff floating around there. Um, that's just, you know, just, just, it's just a blast to play with, you know? Um, but I think to loop that back into the conversation of like making your own or printing out other people's stuff, I think there's, there's also something to be said for taking something that's pre-existing, right? Like an old, like those old Kodak pocket cameras or, you know, these beautiful, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s brass lenses with a shutter and like playing with them, modifying them. I mean, there's, there's nothing that says you can't take, you know, a Rochester camera company shuttered lens that covers a five by seven in uh, the case of a lens I've been using a lot recently and just taking the front element out and replacing it with, with an element of your own and completely messing with the image. Um, and just getting something really interesting and unique. And you don't need to, to recreate the entire thing. You just have to replace one piece. And you can get something really interesting and distinct and unique. On, on that, that is yours. On, on that subject, um, uh, she was uh, going to be a planned guest for the for this podcast, but uh, she she moved away from large format and, and eventually she actually moved away from film. Um, and that's uh, somebody called uh, Isabel Cordes, and uh, and we had her in, 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 instead of coming on here, she came on to the um, Classic Lenses podcast okay. instead, because it was more more appropriate. And uh, and she, apart from being just an absolutely incredibly fascinating person, one of the things that she she did and what she was what I don't know if she's still doing it at the moment, but she keeps on changing through her phases of uh, whatever she's she, she's doing. Um, but she was doing exactly what you just said there. She was taking mm-hmm. lenses and taking them apart. And then, and sometimes she would just um, get an element 
from a from another lens wherever she found it and she would just place that you know hold it in front of the proper le- proper camera lens if you like of a camera okay and uh, and free lens it and, and and tilt it and do all sorts of things and she would be doing these generally on macro shots we'll see it, it uh, because you've obviously magnifying the images uh, a bit that way um right and she was she's she's getting these absolutely incredibly beautiful abstract um, shots of everyday objects which you haven't got a clue half the time what you're even looking at uh, right. because the distortion is just so great and the, the, you know, this way she's lit things and, and, and so on so um, ex- experimenting with uh, lens elements is it, it can be hugely satisfying yeah absolutely yeah and, and that's actually um putting a third element in front of, or a new element in front of an existing lens, you know, it's not too different than, you know, those sort of lens kits that people sell for, for phones now, right? That's all you're really doing is taking a, a single element of some kind that's either going to make the image wider or deeper, right? Telephoto or wider, or whatever, and just clip it in front of the existing lens on the phone. It's the exact same thing. Um, and they used to make back in the day, as they say, um, you know, like convertible large format lenses where it, the original length is 180 and then they had, they, this was sold in this wooden box with different things. They just unscrew it and screw another one on and they would change the yeah. lens length entirely. The optical quality of those weren't typically in my understanding weren't great. I've never laid my hands on one. Um, but in principle, it was a really, really interesting thing and um, they weren't super common uh, I think they were more expensive than other lenses or or what have you, but it was a it was a fascinating thought. Like I have uh, built a couple different lenses where it's like, okay, now if I just like take this, unscrew this one, and put this one in, I've just converted it from a, a ninety to usually it's easier to go shorter, but from like a one eighty down to a one fifty, for example. Um, and that that sort of thing is it's it's super fun. It's also fascinating. It's like just taking something and twisting it around. And seeing what you can do with it, um, and that's—I don't—I know. I love it. Honestly, this, um, Eric, this—I don't. This lens that I've got, which I think is similar to that one on the blue lens board, <laughs> blue <laughs> lens board from people yeah. watching in uh, people listening in color. Um, <laughs> I've just been staring at this. I, I, I ripped it off a Kodak number three folding camera. It's a huge thing. Yep. I had sitting on my shelf for years with holes in the bellows, and I finally realized that the lens I could do something with, but the camera is just shit, really. Mm-hmm. And um, so I mounted it, and I've not actually used it yet, but I'm just reading what it says, and this is great fun, isn't it? So it says, for F64, marine clouds and snow. F32 apparently is a distant view. Yep. F16, average view. F8, near view portrait for shadow and moving objects and then yeah. on the shutter speed it's got one second very dull <laughs> two, two half a second dull <laughs> a fifth of a second gray a 25th of a second clear a hundredth of a second moving objects brilliant <laughs> brilliant and that actually fantastic. that number three yeah go on, that go on. number three is the one that you can convert to panoramic yeah, but not, three not the a, one I had. You couldn't. Not the one you had, yeah. I mean, those things shot a three and a quarter by four and a quarter inches, sorry, negative. It's yeah. damn near, you know. And it's the speed. roll film, wasn't it? Roll some yeah. weird roll film. 
massive roll film, but there are converters, just spool converters you can get that will just convert that that size camera to 120, and you you get a four and a quarter inch long panoramic. Wow. Huge. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost sort of the, the the frame size is almost large for I can't remember the size of it now, but it's huge, isn't it? So, yeah, the frame huge. size it's a postcard camera. Um, so it actually is technically large format. We're keeping in the large format vein. Uh, like the speed graphic that I took on the, the Butterfield trip that you see in the Rise Slow Take Photos, that's a three and a quarter by four and a quarter. Technically, that's that's a large format. Those Kodak number threes roll film or not. You'll start the angry format. brigade now right into uh, the, the do it. large format. That's Debate not large me. format. De- Debate me. Debate me. Um, <laughs> But I mean, if you use one twenty film in it, maybe it's not. But its original format absolutely yeah. was three and a quarter yeah. by four and a quarter. That's that's it's massive. It's huge, yeah. right? I mm-hmm. mean, technically, large format goes down to. I mean, you could almost no, you can't. I was gonna say you can you can't quite argue that the the baby speed graphics, the the old two and a quarter by three and a quarter inch, you know, essentially six by nine for lack of a better. Oh, we uh, can. Size. We can, and we okay. have. And okay. Yeah, we okay. have argued yeah. it both ways. I yeah, think. and yeah. Uh, that was largely because both I, ways. Bought, I bought one by mistake, uh, which so that, that, that pretty much. Lots of people are buying those by mistake. Yeah. I nearly bought one by mistake, yeah. and then uh, Max Cooper, who I've been chatting with, he bought one by mistake as well. They're brilliant. I mean, those little things you convert yeah, them to a six nine back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Six by nine roll film back, and as long as your rangefinder is accurate, those things are great. Even if you shoot sheet film with it, they're great. They're just, they're small, they're lively, they're portable, they're quick. As long as the rangefinder is accurate to whatever lens you're putting on the front. Um, those little baby speed graphics are really, really fucking wonderful. I'm um, shooting, it's, shoot, shooting glass plates in my Rolleiflex. So is that large format? Yeah, right? It's a good question. <laughs> oh, you, you managed to eat one of, those, uh, one of those sheet film backs for the Rolle, yeah, huh? Yeah. Those, are, those, are, those are rare like hen's teeth. I'm pulling out all the all the funny word, all the funny phrases. Um, <laughs> Bob's your uncle, hen's teeth. Um, but but yeah, those threes and those lenses are really good, man. Um, you know, this one, uh, the one I've I've been playing with, the one I shot. I can send a link to this too to a, a historical a photojournalism project in Oklahoma, based around the land runs. It was the last great disenfranchisement of Native Americans. In, I mean. We've been doing it continuously, but the largest histor- last large historical one. Um, so I wanted to shoot something that was more period correct, and I used uh, this this really pretty, really, really pretty uh, Rochester Optical Company um, lens. But the and I was hoping just to shoot it straight, but it's off of a five by seven camera. So as much as I tried to make it misbehave and give me some sort of character on my Intrepid four by five, I couldn't give it. I couldn't get it to to do anything interesting. It was just too sharp, edge to edge, because it's optically built for a five by seven. So even wide open, I got no bokeh. It was just sharp, as sharp as any modern lens I've ever used. It's just yeah. they're, they're brilliant. So that's why I I had I had to replace the front element to get some sort of character in it. Otherwise, it just looked like I was shooting a modern camera um, on orthochromatic film, and there's nothing period about the results. Um, and it, I was, but I was, I was shocked at how sharp this old lens was. Just beautiful. I still have the original lens element. I can swap it back to its original, like actual functional beauty, um, compared to my my hackery. But it was, I was really surprised. Um, and so, for those of you out there who are listening, if you're looking for 
like an affordable large format lens that'll cover four by five with lens with movements with front movement full front movement you know start hunting up like those late 1800s like this lens i think was copyrighted in 1896 or so um those late 1800s five by seven brass lenses um, or four by five but if you just want edge to edge sharpness and a really well-behaving lens that'll shoot brilliantly that can be had quite cheaply these things are these things are it like you know uh I can't. Simon, have you found a lot of these lenses floating around in in your in your purchase rooms? They, they they certainly pop up, and um, and there's um, one that I've talked about on quite a few occasions um, when I bought a half frame uh, camera, um, and uh, which I, I sent to Andrew, and he was too scared to use. Um, and uh, you don't mean half frame; you mean half plate. Oh, sorry, half plate. Yeah, sorry, half plate. Sorry. Um, I, you know, we've been talking so much about gear uh, this week. I, th- I thought I'd gone back into the Classic Lenses podcast. Well, I'm not sure what podcast we're in. We're either in the Lensless, <laughs> the homemade camera podcast, Classic yeah. Lenses podcast, yeah. Yeah. and maybe a push the large format photography this, podcast. This, this is clearly a reaction to Shane uh, in the last uh, show uh, calling me a gearhead and calling me out as a gearhead quite correctly. And uh, because we've had quite a good run of um, of having. Uh, good artistic meaningful discussions um but i <laughs> come alive talking about gear um, well i was i was rather hoping we might have another one of those tonight but maybe that'll be the next no. show with eric <laughs> that's not going to well, tonight yeah. i can do that i can do it and 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 i apologize actually ladies and gentlemen of the audience this is entirely my fault um i uh, i do tend to skip all over the place um from like gear because I, I find it all interesting like i find the, the equipment really interesting. I find the history, the history of things interesting. Mm. You know, like what was made and when and why is, is fascinating. Um, the results they get like achromatic film or glass plates or dry plates, like that look and feel versus panchromatic and, and how those came across and the results they get and how unique those results are um, versus like, even like the, the Kodachrome that had two colors because America didn't have dyes because all the dyes came from Germany and World War II cut that off. America didn't have dye until we went to war with Germany and we lost all of our dye. Like that, that shit's fascinating to me. Um, but also I think getting unique artistic results that feel good to you, right? Um, I mean, in the end, no matter how deep we dive into gear, the results, the emotional impact of the results on you as a photographer are intensely important, right? Because the, the first person you need to satisfy is yourself. Um, and if you're not emotionally invested and happy with the work that you do, you're never gonna be able to represent it to anybody else or to go to somebody and say, this is the work I do, right? Because if you do that and like, yeah, this is the work I do. And they'll be like, yeah, well, if you don't care, why do we care? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I, I might dive into gear and the process because I, you know, I, I'm handsy. I like, I'd like to be mentally occupied. Um, and once I do something well, I immediately skip to the next thing. It, it drives my fiance completely batshit crazy. She's like, you just got good at that. Why are you trying to do something else? I'm like, because I'm <laughs> bored and I want to go do something else. And she just like, she just throws things at me. Um, <laughs> and she's justified. 
I, I'm not blaming her for throwing things at me um, because of mental curiosity. But at the same time, if I'm unable to get really interesting results that, that are emotionally good to me, fuck it. Why bother? Right? Like, I think Shane would say that. I think Jenny would say that. Right? Um, I think James you know, his cyanotypes that he shoots and the stuff that he, the results he gets out of shooting red shifters or whatever. Like if he didn't really, really like those images, he wouldn't be building that crazy ass camera, no. you know? And, and, and you guys wouldn't be doing the things you do. Right. Um, so I think that the end product is a sum of everything that it takes to get there. And that product is only satisfying if you've invested yourself into it. I wonder if Simon, I think it was Simon, touched on, well, we got onto this discussion earlier, didn't we, or you two did really, about um, digital photography and how it's brought photography to the masses. You know, everyone's a photographer now, and you can get stunning results on your iPhone. In fact, when I was in the Lake District, I did this panoramic shot and I had to question whether I need to carry on with large format photography because, you know, the iPhone XR, whatever it is, I press a button, move the camera around, and I just got this incredible <laughs> panoramic shot. Now, I don't know. Uh, probably couldn't enlarge it great a great amount. I don't, I don't know. But do, do, do you think that very, very clearly it's led to a stabilization of the decline of film photography at the least and depending on who you, who you talk to maybe a bit of an increase in film usage do, do you think it's that perhaps lack of emotional involvement you know in snap 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 you know and right. all all of that you know so you'll end up with 20 images all kind of from the same location but maybe you know left a bit up a bit down a bit. yeah yeah, and I think there must be more. There must be more to it, you know, to satisfy this artistic or this sort of this need to be creative, you know. Right. Um, and does that draw people to film photography? Do you think? Yeah, I think I. I I'm, this I'm like, okay. We're gonna get some comments from this, but um, <laughs> sorry in advance. But uh, you know, uh, yes. In a nutshell. Good. All the yes, um, and, and here's yeah no absolutely, and uh, and I'll, I'll I'll dive into this a little bit. So, a, one of my favorite, hands down favorite, documentary photojournalists, I think, the greatest living um, documentary photographer right now, and arguably one of the the greatest ever, um, is Eugene Richards, right? And uh, you're familiar? You've, either of you familiar with his work at all? I will be when I've done the show notes oh, and researched it. Oh my god, he's he's his work is stunning, and um, and the interesting so a few things about Gene is like one traditionally like he's a very nice, gentle, almost unassuming man, and his work his photographs are really intimate. Like he generally doesn't shoot unless he's almost close enough to touch you, and mm -hmm. that requires a great deal of trust with his subjects. But I saw this great like interview with him um, where they talked about like, why did you switch? When did you switch to digital and why? And he said, well, really, I just did this interview was, you know, a few, a few years back. Um, and it's because the, the publishing industry demands it. It's, yeah. it's cheaper for the publishing industry to take these files and deal with them than it is to pay to have your work 
developed and scanned and messed with. It's just cheaper and faster. And that, that was really the driving factor behind the popularization and acceptance of digital initially had nothing to do with the masses. It had everything to do with publishing, right? Newspapers, magazines. Um, that's what really drove the industry to digital. Um, but in terms of like how he worked, he said that he found himself shooting more, right? And just shooting a lot more, and I'm paraphrasing, right? I've done, these aren't his words. But essentially a lot more images that were less meaningful because he could, right? He could just like shoot a shit ton more than he could ever with film. And he found himself um, like essentially unhappy because like his work changed as a result. And he really had to check himself to be like, you know, like, stop it. Essentially stop shooting like a digital photographer. Um, and I think because there's, there's no, there's no ramifications for shooting 500 fucking images. I mean, you're just like, there's a, give me a good one in there somewhere. Right. Woo. Um, and so I think that digital photography in general leads to, uh, less care taking an image, less technical care, because you can always do something in Photoshop with it, right? You can always, as long as the basic image is there, you can screw with the levels and you can pull out detail and you can run a, a, a filter on it to reduce the noise and tighten it up and pull something out of something. Whereas if you underexpose by two stops on film, you're fucked. You've got nothing, right? Nothing. Um, and that lack of, of care and that lack of ramifications for your mistakes um, brings to me a lot less emotional value to the work. And that's not to say that there aren't really talented, like uh, there's some photographers here locally in the photojournalism, in the journalism pool, shooting for the Chronicle and Reuters and New York Times um, who are friends of mine and are out there on the daily, you know, and we've, the fires are, it's fire season, right? Yeah. Wildfire season. And the work they're producing is heartbreakingly immense with digital. Um, so that's not to like throw the whole thing out and say digital, it's all crap. Um, but they are professionals with an eye who care deeply for their subjects. Um, and that, so that carries through that's universal, right? Um, but for those of us who aren't in that class, um, just the everyday photographer, there's so many more images now. Um, I, th there's so many pretty landscapes. There's so many pretty sunsets. Like, uh, sometimes I, I feel, you know, like the, the, the sky here in California turned a terrible, terrible, deep, angry orange a few weeks ago. I'm sure you saw it on the news from the wild, from the wildfire smoke. Like it was, it felt like the end of the world. I barely shot anything because I knew everybody was, everybody was fucking out there, you know, with their phones getting amazing photos. And I'm like, why, why the, why am I going to bother? You know, why bother? Um, because everybody can produce a nice photograph. Instagram is full of nice photographs. Um, and, uh, but if that encourages, you know, without Instagram and without all those social media and without your iPhones, right. You know, it would have let, it would have, uh, well, 
it would yep. it, it would lead it, it does lead now to some of those people wanting to take things further yes wanting to take things further wanting to you know satisfy themselves in a way perhaps that they're not able to get with an instagram filter yeah yeah absolutely and like i've i've also long said that you know i take plenty of photos on my phone that Me too. it's a good, it's like a good sketchbook like it allows you to practice 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 framing practice how you see things where yeah. you put your focus so that when when the cards are down and you've got your you're taking a photograph that's actually meaningful the technical parts of it are automatic um and you can concentrate on capturing that moment that emotion that that really difficult scene on your film camera or on your high-end digital camera um and actually nailing that and not like like ham-fisting the shutter speed or you know this stuff like there's a lot to be said with that practice and and digital makes that practice a hell of a lot more affordable and accessible um you know this this two this two uh this two film stacking process you know you can't really practice that with with a digital camera and have gone through i've gone out and shot these scenes like three times now you know like combined 40, 50 sheets of film each fucking bloody time plus developing, you know, and uh, it just, it hurts when you make the mistake. Like it hurts because you put so much time and energy to essentially a uh, carefully planned out best possible trial run. It just sucks when it doesn't come out and you got to go out and do it again or give up. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I've been banging my head against this bichrome thing for like four weeks now. <laughs> I'm almost ready. If this, if this run this weekend doesn't, doesn't go through, I'm, I'm going to have to give it up because it's just not, it's not, it, it must not be viable for, for me and how I work. Um, so yeah. Oh God. Well, you can tell us more about that in part two, I'm sure. Yeah, how, absolutely. How <laughs> absolutely. Um, that film is, that film is drying right now in the bathroom. Um, but you know, but I think back to the point of like digital versus versus film. Um, I think for most people, yeah, it's made it it's made it accessible. And for the folks who really get into it, it really pushes them to get into maybe something they wouldn't have gotten into otherwise. Although you could argue, like, if somebody has an artistic bent, they'd have gone that deep with regular photography. You know, um, artists and photojournalists will always be artists and photojournalists. Um, maybe it allowed a, a larger group of people to realize they have that drive and to chase it down. Um, and if that's the case, then, then God bless. That's awesome. Um, but it really has, I have to question uh, for better or worse, whether or not the sheer volume of images versus the folks the volume of people that we've gained into film and into artistic or really talented photography, how even that distribution is. Mm. Have we 300 X our volume of photographs to get like three X, the number of, of people in that, that class um, and how many photographers and photo studios and photojournalists have just put the cameras down and left. Right. There's fewer photographers than ever working at newspapers and magazines. Some newspapers have completely in really short sighted ways cut their photography staff entirely and like given their fucking reporters iPhones. 
I can't remember which Chicago newspaper did that. There, there was also complete crap, and they realized it a year later. But like, you know, in terms of a, can you sustain a living doing photography standpoint? Is that a smaller pool of people than it ever was because of digital? I would argue yes. I would argue there are fewer photographers earning a genuine living doing photography now than there ever were. Yeah, and and that that fucking sucks. Not to, not to be a downer about it, but I, I think that's a – not to cry in my beer or anything, but I think, I think that is – I think that's a reality. Yeah, and I think uh, – um, I don't really want to end it on a, uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a on a downward spiral, but, uh, but this is only part one. Right, and, right. Um, and we're, we're going to be doing a part two, uh, because there's still but, so much to talk about. Right. And and we can not we can not end it on downward spiral because there's there's positives right like there's so much beautiful art and there's so many things that we that we get to see that otherwise we would never see, and things that you and I and um, Simon that we realize oh shit that exists this tourist went there and shot this thing where is that I want to go do that I want to photograph that, and so for for those of us who really pursue it either for a living or just because we're bonkers about it. Um, you know, the sky's the limit because we know about so much more visually than we ever did. Yeah. And, and people share, like, you can ping somebody who took that photo with the iPhone and be like, dude, where, where was that? Hmm. How do I get to that? And, and they'll share like, oh man, that's, that's three miles in on this, this place there. This is where you go. Or that was, that's my, my uncle's, you know, my uncle's cousin has this little factory, whatever. Drop my name, go there. It's cool. Yeah. Right, and, and, hope, so and just those, hope, I was going to say, and just hope you don't get the person that, that chops the tree down after after taking the amazing photo. Right, yeah, that that jackass. Um, and so, like those opportunities are there's there's so many more opportunities to make really amazing images in the way that you want to make them. Back to that, like the way that is emotionally that is that is satisfying to you, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it's not entirely a downer. It's a tough. It's a tough world in some ways to be a photographer but it's also arguably one of the most magical times ever to be a photographer i mean you can literally be a photographer in any bloody way you want to now digital film whatever it's it's, and that's awesome it's fucking awesome eric it's been absolutely fantastic fantastic (laughs) chatting to you yeah. I'm watching you as well. I, I could get into watching guests. It's quite voyeuristic, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? When they can't see me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you get the back of a really pretty camera and a harvester on your phone. It's, it's cool. I think you might be, if I, if I really focus in on your profile image, I think your camera might be level. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I need, we, let's uh, start to wind things down. Um, yeah. The first thing I want to do um, is to say thank you to those people that have managed to find our coffee uh, site and uh, and and help us out a little. Um, and I've I've got to say I don't know uh, what what's happened here because uh, last time we only had like a couple of people and uh, but we've uh, we seem to have got quite popular since uh, since the last show with uh, with the chain. So um, the uh, people specifically since the last time I want to say thank you to are uh, Christopher J May who left a message to say uh, being a bit again, gents. Uh, have a couple of coffees on me. Thank you very much, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Um, then the Sialist um, who says you've had a run of top flight podcastry. Thank you. Um, and uh, but but 
But what would make it even better, um, by the way, I'm dyslexic, so I really struggle with this, um, would be to have you have you two standing in a ploughed field on a freezing fen, uh, fen morning, trying to work a shutter. So here's a few quid uh, towards that outside outside broadcast unit you've uh, you've mentioned uh, mm -hmm. so th thank you very much i mean it's, it's got to be said we were down to meet dave shrimpton last friday and we were going to record a uh, an outside broadcast somehow um, but um, i think the the, the well, views on covid sort of put that to an end again didn't they yeah. simon yeah. just to while, while you've reminded me that just this weekend gone our dear friend Jack Lowe of the Lifeboat Project fame was uh, doing some unveiling of a large um, print of the Lifeboat crew in Stiff Key. Now, I'm not expecting you to know where Stiff Key is, Simon, no. but it was um, it's in North Norfolk, probably less than an hour from me, and I just couldn't get up there this weekend gone, and I, that was oh. a perfect opportunity. Jack Lowe, because I um, follow him on, on uh, Patreon, he... Um, he said, I'm going to be in Stiffkey. We're unveiling an, a, a large blow-up of a Clodian image I made of the lifeboat crew last year sometime. And But I know he posted on Friday night, the wind was howling, you know, and I think he managed to get out and get some publicity and stuff, you know, for his project. But that was a perfect opportunity. I could have been up there doing a large format photography podcast outside broadcast if we had any gear to do it with <laughs> yeah very, very true very true um um so just just uh, we, we've we've got more we've done well this week um yeah yeah shug shug pug um has made a donation to us thank you very much um then there's buzz and it's at the end of there and buzz wrote are you making all these names up Simon? no and and people are really d d deliberately coming up with the hard hard to read names as usual um <laughs> and uh, buzz and i can read that uh gentlemen uh i'm i'm just getting into large format catching up with all the episodes and learning lots keep up the good work thank you very much buzz and glad glad to mm. um we're uh, helping people along Sorry, Andrew, were you going to say something? I was just thanking Buzz. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Thanks, Buzz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then there's uh, Christoph Sieglin. I think I've said that right. Um, uh, as if I hadn't enough cameras, I am now the proud owner of a 4x5. Um, how, how great is that? It's epic. Well, well it's done, high. Christoph. Um, <laughs> it's obviously all your fault. Um, <laughs> here, come, here come the coffees. Thank you. Uh, cheers. Thank you, Christoph. And then finally, uh, Colin Devro. A few coffees to hear Simon mispronounce my name. I think I got it right. Um, not Devro, oh. of course. Devro. So, um, what did you he's call him? You have to write in and let him know. Yeah, I said Colin Devro. Oh, oh, is he a Colin? Devro? What did you call him? Devro? No, Colin Devro. Not you didn't Devereux. call him Colin, did you? Because that's I, proper American. It, it, it is American, <laughs> isn't it? That is the, uh, that is the way over there. Um, no, Devro, as opposed to Devro. So there we go. So uh, thank you uh, very, very much, um, because that will go some way to actually coming up with something that we're going to use to do an outside broadcast recording. So uh, thank you. Well, we've very, got lots very much. of plans, haven't we, for outside broadcast recordings? Yeah, and never, never get there at all, damn COVID. Um, okay, so that's it. We've we've still got emails which we haven't done, and we will do. Who knows? Yeah, we we might enlist Eric uh, en enlist Eric to mm. help us out with, with emails next time. Um, Happily. 
Yeah. Send them over. I'll do yeah. it. That's it. So, um, okay. So, uh, Eric, it's been absolutely fantastic um, having you with us. Yeah, thank you. It's, this has been, well, A, really uh, entertaining and fun and completely random. I promise I'll be more focused <laughs> next time. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. Pinky swear. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm My gonna... fiance is looking at me right now going, no, you're not. Yeah, we're not going to hold you to that. Um, um, so then, um, out, you know, people have, uh, many people would have heard you for the first time, but uh, you, you, you're out there. So how can people catch up with some of the things and perhaps see the things that you've done on video or whatever? How can people find right. out what you do? Probably the, the the single best way. I mean, I have a website, but you know, like most of us, we never maintain our website. It's like one of those things. Um, Instagram is I'm most active on Instagram, uh, which is just E R I K H M A T H Y is my Instagram handle. Uh, be prepared for photographs, large format photography, uh, pictures of lenses that I build myself with cameras I build myself, and. Rabbits. We have pet rabbits, and they're adorable. So you're going to get inundated with, like this podcast, a lot of random crap. Um, and, hey, man, it's fair. And then uh, I'll change my, my link on that to the, the Ride Slow Take Photos trailer so folks can, can, can follow that over and see what that trailer is about. Um, but that's really probably the single safest, most active place. Excellent. Well, uh, thank, thank you, thank you very much for that. And Andrew, um, actually, I'll, no, I'll come back to Eric. Have you got any shout outs you want to say to anybody that might be listening? <laughs> well, for sure, uh, huge props and thanks to Looking Glass Photo here in in Berkeley. Uh, they are the sole place in what is known as the East Bay of San Francisco for photographic equipment, supplies, traditional darkroom supplies, film, and the rest. And then if you're over in San Francisco, go to Glass Key Photo. They're Been the there. of... Been there. Have you? Yeah. Oh, those guys are great, man. Been there. They're so yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are they're wonderful, wonderful. Have you been to the there. new shop? No, because no, they were broken into, weren't they? And uh, vandalized, heavily vandalized. Yeah. I don't know. If so you, were, you, were, you went down to the shot on the shop. I was there the in two or th three, three years ago, six, yep. 2016. Yeah, they've ago. got a new space, Gordon, and those guys are awesome. Um and then, you know, uh, probably next would definitely be Adobe because they're the ones who got interested, Adobe Create, they got interested in what I do. And we'll talk about this the next time. And they produced a documentary movie about my last big project called Ride Slow Take Photos, mm -hmm. uh, which was just a, an amazing thing to take part of. Is Again, we can talk about this in the next movie, but like having a film crew following you around is both, is a very disconcerting thing, but also... It was just fun because there, there was a good crew and uh, and weird, surreal. We can talk about that later. But huge thanks to Adobe Create for finding sort of fringe artists like myself and giving us the time of day. Um, that was really awesome. And then for those of you in the Bay Area, if you're looking for a bike shop, I uh, can't say enough about Huckleberry Bikes. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a photographer with a cycling problem, and my cycling problem is taken care of by Huckleberry bicycles. Um, so when I do these long trips, I do them by bicycle. I do documentary photography with large format equipment by bicycle. Um, and my shop of choice is Huckleberry. So can't, can't thank them enough. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for those. Uh, Andrew, out, have you got a shout out? Well, I do. Yes. Uh, ben Horn, who we've 
pre- previous guest on the show, I was watching a video that he put out recently on focus stacking using eight by ten film, which was I didn't really know was a thing. I'd heard about it and I kind of had a bit of an idea, but I didn't know you could do it with film. But anyway, he's he's put out a video on his YouTube channel how he uh, went back to a scene that he'd photographed eight or nine years ago, and he was he's been unhappy with that scene ever since. And he That's shot brilliant. three. I know. We'll go on his video because then he, he he shows, he talks very thoroughly through how he did it and then how he worked the images together on uh, on Photoshop. So go and check that out. And then I, I, I messaged my daughter earlier and said, with a clip to um, Craig's um, Craig, Craig's video, and uh, she said, so shout out to my daughter. She said, looks like an interesting guy. <laughs> I don't know where you find them, crying face. Side note, side note, the song in that clip is by one of my favourite musicians, Courtney Barnett. Did you know that? Yes. Oh, there you go. Good. Yeah, well, I didn't, actually, <laughs> until the trailer came to me and they were working on licensing Adobe was. Okay. And um, I sent it to a friend of mine and they're like, that's Courtney Barnett. I'm like, I had no idea. Uh, no, I don't know. I've yeah. never heard of her. But then I've got, a young da- I've got a young daughter who can keep me informed of these things, you see. Yeah. Um, that's actually too many stories. We're trying to end this. I'll tell you the story about, <laughs> about, um, a famous Icelandic band and meeting them in the middle of Arizona, um, while riding my bike down route 66. Oh man. Next, next time. We're going to get you on for the next four shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I met Signor Rose on route 66 and I had no idea who they were. And then when I got done, my friends were like, you met who? I was like this Icelandic band. They're like Signor Rose. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're really nice. They're like, you have no appreciation for who you met? They're amazing. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, they're really nice. And they're just like, we hate you. Like, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. The tour manager is actually in the UK. Okay. Um, anyways. Yeah, I, I, know that, I know that we have technically three minutes of time of Andrew, so I'm going to uh, run, uh, run, run, run through where my, my one shout-out um, is the, probably the one I gave last time, and that's to uh, Graeme Jago, the Sunny 16 podcast, or more to the point, Sunny 16 Presents, uh, because he's done a, like a, a solo show, if you like, um, and he's only just uh, put it out there. I mean, I, and I'm on it, he talks to me, and he also talks to Steve Lloyd, um, another mention for Steve Lloyd on the show. Um, And also he spoke to uh, Matt Marash, uh, and it's pretty much um, justifying why he bought a chroma camera. Uh, That's pretty much the entire episode, Um, but from three different aspects, I guess. So um, do have a listen to that, because I'm I'm told it's actually quite good. So, do you um, need a justification to buy a chroma camera? Well, or any no, camera? Not, not really. That's well, I've, I've, I've no, done it. I've got no. one on order. Yeah. Um, yeah, what camera do you need? Is your current number of cameras plus one? Snap, oh, it's we, the new snapshot for me. The new one he's just put out. The one with a bit of movement in the snapshot handheld. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. One, yeah. Yeah, it's all okay. good. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's that's my shout out, uh, Andrew. Mm. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, what's the best way to do that? They can send us an email, Simon. Yeah. Uh, if they send an email to largeformatphotographypodcast.com. Um, uh, now, no, you may not no, want to do no, that. If no, you have... no, no. What? Almost. 
we there is no lot well there might be a large format photography podcast.com but we don't own it don't we no what is it then? it's it's for goodness sake it's, i wrote it down <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> it's large format photography podcast at gmail.com oh yeah at gmail.com that's right. the bit yeah i just missed out the gmail well, and then you too can get your email read at by email. these sultry well, dulcet tones yeah so we'll eventually we, the, the two that simon's been threatening to inflict on us for the last six months we're going to get eric to read out next week next well <laughs> next week next time right. yeah. let's do it so if you want to send any more emails after listening to Eric part one, then send it to large format photography podcast at gmail.com. Um, okay. So uh, how about yourself then outside of this show? How can people keep up with the things that you do? Um, they can listen to me droning on, on the lenses podcast every couple of weeks and hanging out in the Facebook group, large format photography podcast, Facebook group on Twitter I'm Warboys Snapper on Instagram I'm Warboys Snapper and that's about it really okay well uh, I have a website called simonforsterphotographic.co.uk where you can buy lens caps and things like that and very very soon I will be doing some custom lens boards as well um, and I do a another podcast which goes out every week uh, called the Classic Lenses Podcast I'm on Twitter is Simon Form on Instagram is Simon Force the Photographic. Um, we have an Instagram feed. Um, I, I think best described as a half-arsed Instagram feed for the large format photography podcast. Um, and it's a bit, it's a bit one-way traffic. Um, but there you go. We, we we have one. One day we will get better. I say we. I mean me. Um, so uh, oh, we have a Flickr page as well by the aforementioned oh, Colin. Yeah, Colin Devereux. That's right. Colin Devereaux. <laughs> <laughs> well, so thank remembered. you, Colin Devereaux, for um, uh, I can I can insult him now. He sent us coffee money yeah. for doing a great job on the on the Flickr group, and we'll uh, at some point we'll dive into the Flickr group and talk about the images on there. I suspect there's a when we haven't got a guest and we're scratching around, we can use the Flickr group to um, go and yeah. interrogate. Yeah, no, that's a, that's that's good. There's a good uh, some good discussions on there, uh, which I really need to get more involved in as well. I must say, um, yep. so um, that's f- certainly a good place for people that don't want to go anywhere near Facebook. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? So our, it our is, music yeah. uh, is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, and it's uh, called Two Finger Johnny, um, and that's it. So I hope. You've enjoyed this week's show and all this fortnight show, whatever it is, and uh, will be great if you can come back again. So goodbye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>